The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, Executive Editor, and each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world gathered by our team at America Media. And one of our team joins us here in the studio, uh, James Keene, who is a senior editor at America. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Matt. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Carrie. Uh, and we are going to be joined by Sandra Schneiders, uh, who is a professor emerita of New Testament studies at the Jesuit School of Theology at Santa Clara University, and she is going to be talking about her recent piece. Uh, yes, Sister Schneiders uh, is an accomplished theologian herself. Uh, And she is a professor uh, emerita of New Testament Studies and Christian Spirituality at the Jesuit School of Theology at Santa Clara University in Berkeley, California, and is the author of more than a dozen books. Sister Sandra (laughs) Schneiders, welcome to the show. Thank you. We are very glad to have you. Uh, So as Father Malone mentioned, your piece is called The Vocation of the Theologian Begins with an Invitation. Uh, So is that how your own vocation as a theologian began? Uh, you mean, did it begin as an invitation? Yeah, is that sort of coming from your own personal experience? or? Uh, yes, that's basically uh, what I was drawing on for... Uh, the article was, of course, originally the commencement address last uh, June to so our, own, uh, our own students. Can you tell us a bit about that invitation? Well, I, you know, it came... Probably uh, with my birth, <laughs> I just <laughs> always, even as a kid, uh, concerned about um, probably the deeper aspects of things, why things happened, and you know everything from why things were beautiful to why some things were painful. Uh, I always wondered about God, uh, and when I look back at that, I say yes, that that was a that was a kind of vocational invitation. I think what what people are naturally interested in, what fascinates them, what challenges them, what enriches them, even as small children, is probably part of the way God invites us to pursue whatever it is we end up pursuing. And Sister, when you first started out studying theology, you mentioned in the article that it was a, um, a bit of an old boys club, uh, where... Uh, uh, there were invitations, but there were also warnings and, and, and restrictions on what you could study and what you could really explore, right? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, when I started studying theology, uh, a woman theologian was almost a contradiction in terms. Mm. It was very much an old boys club, uh, and even a young boys club. <laughs> it, didn't, it, didn't incur, it didn't include any women or girls or any of the non-male persuasion. Mm. Yeah, and that was a uh, th- that was really a sea change then in the in the last forty years, wasn't it? it not not only uh, it you know becoming diverse in 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 terms of gender, but uh, having but now m- most theologians are are lay people and not clerics, right? Well, I don't know uh, in in terms of the absolute numbers, but uh, it's certainly a major change in the whole theological academy is the fact that that they're are very large numbers now of non-clerics in the in the profession. So I don't know if anybody's kind of counted it, but um, certainly clerics do not control the agenda or the uh, 
or the response to the agenda at this point, whereas they controlled it absolutely at the time that I entered the field. Right, right. And, you know, you mentioned at the at the top of our conversation that um, the the word wonder, that your, your vocation as a theologian really began in wonder. It, it reminded me of something, actually, that uh, I heard uh, a... a an old philosophy teacher of mine, Father Norris Clark, said to me once, I asked him how he became a philosopher, how he became a metaphysician, and he said, oh, well, I've always uh, been fascinated by waterfalls, right? <laughs> Which is <laughs> such an interesting way to, to begin yeah. an answer to that question. Right? It's, his own vocation as a philosopher had begun in a sense of wonder. How, how important is that sense of wonder to the vocation of a theologian? Well, I, I, think, it's, I think it's the difference between a theologian and somebody who works in the field of theology. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, of course, it was Aristotle who said, you know, all philosophy begins in wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a difference between uh, having a passion for what you're doing, because in a certain sense your very life hangs on it, and doing something, even if you do it well, because this is a job that needs to be done, and I have the talent to do it. Uh, so I, I think this is probably true of most life professions, whether it's medicine or teaching or, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, one can do something because it's one way to get paid, and people have to do something to look credible to their neighbors. Or you can do something because you just have some deep sense that in in some sense of the word, Everything depends on this. So the artist really doesn't think that they're playing around while other people do serious work. The artist is is convinced that, in some sense, the future of the human race, the quality of human life, depends on art. Hmm. Right. And so, so uh, and I think with the theologian or the philosopher or the writer, you know, there's this the same sense that that what one is pursuing is is crucial, uh, and not only for oneself, but for others. Does that mean, Sister, that a theologian is more like an artist than, uh, say, a scientist? Well, my, my experience of being a theologian would certainly say yes to that, that uh, uh, even before I made this phone call, I was sitting here trying to write a paragraph <laughs> for, for an article. Um, and realizing how critical it was to me personally to get this paragraph right, to to be able to actually communicate both what the question is and what I think the answer is and why the answer is significant. I could probably write this article in half the time if I just simply marshaled the available uh, data on the subject and got it all in there. But you're assembling it more like a... uh picture or a portrait than, a, than exactly. an equation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's sort of, you write about that in a, in a sense in your article where you're talking about the way in which you're trying to kind of synthesize the different invitations that you've received throughout your career into different cultures, into different ideas, and how to put those all together into uh, one one picture of the world or various pictures of the world and your own experience as, as you live through them. And you write about the, uh, the the religious brother who gave you the advice, never accept, uh, or rather, don't ever refuse an invitation. Uh, uh-huh. I wonder how you can, if you could talk a little bit about how you process that into your own uh, worldview. 
Well, as I said in the original talk, uh, my first response to that as a young religious, I, you know, I was a young sister at that time, in my 30s, and uh, that sounded to me like a recipe for uh, moral disintegration. I mean, the one, <laughs> one, the one thing that certainly a woman religious was never encouraged to do was to respond to anything that wasn't already processed and stamped with approval and had already been done 500,000 times by older people. So the idea of listening to an invitation and tromping off to uh, see what it involved was about <laughs> foreign to my experience as anything could have been, uh, which is probably why it struck me so at the time, because you know, I just kept wondering what he certainly couldn't mean that if somebody propositioned me on the street, I should, you know, <laughs> run off and follow them. Right, uh, right, right. But yeah. as I got into my studies, I realized that, you know, you almost can't get through a page, serious page of uh, of theology without being enticed in one direction or another. I wonder what this means. Yeah. I wonder where this came from. Yeah. I wonder how many people think this. Right about coming to gradually see that theology is really a vocation where you seek the truth and this ultimate reality, not just for yourself, but because you want to teach it, because you want to share it with others, and you want to live it in the world. You, it's The point is to have it kind of affect how you are in the world, how you relate to others. And uh, you write about the, um, sort of Pope Francis's uh, efforts to kind of embody this, this idea as well. I wonder if you could talk a bit about how uh, Pope Francis and the, and the way he's behaved as Pope and as Bishop of Rome has has influenced or informed uh, the way that you have seen uh, your own vocation as a theologian? Well, uh, I think especially after the two pontificates that preceded him, uh, <laughs> he, he's like, uh, I suppose, a homecoming for a theologian like myself. Uh, from the from day one, from the, his first salutation from the balcony, I said, "Oh my goodness, we're living in a different world." Hmm. Um, and uh, I, because I can remember uh, where I was listening to uh, when Pope John Paul II came out on the balcony and <laughs> greeted the people, and my sense at that time, and I saw the contrast, I, my heart leaped up in joy when, when Francis walked out, <laughs> and just as I saw him kind of uh, slip away the, you know, <laughs> the trappings they were trying to uh, hang around his neck and over his head and so on as he walked out wearing his simple white outfit. Um, there was an authenticity about him before he ever opened his mouth. And I had never, I didn't know anything about him, you know, before I had not been doing the Pope, you know, the election watching thing. Um, but I, I said, you know, here, this is a genuine article. <laughs> you know, what are we going to uh, see and hear? And really, from the moment he opened his mouth, uh, what was what was coming out was him, him his authentic self, and. I, I think that's, uh, to me, that's what being a theologian, as opposed to doing theology or teaching theology or, you know, being a professional theologian, uh, being a theologian is, you know, 
he he was being a pastor from the day he set his toe on that balcony. And you mentioned, sister, in your piece that uh, you see theology as being uh, teaching theology as a charismatic experience. Is that you're not delivering sort of the propositions of a system or offering information about a way of looking at the world? Is you're literally trying to communicate the good news to other people who will benefit from it, who are also seeking, who are also wondering, and that I I think ties into that sense of personal authenticity, right? Absolutely. I, I think the only answer, if you could use that word, that we give to anybody is the embodiment of whatever it is that we're saying to them. Uh, and if they sense that, they may not end up agreeing with you at the theoretical level, but they'll engage the questions the way, in such a way that, that the even seeking answers becomes a, a conversion experience as one enters more deeply into the word, into the truth. Um, and the, the theologian is the person who kind of offers that, the way the Pope offered that to the people of God, when he asked the people to bless him. Right, so there's uh, a... So that, was, that wasn't a, a script that he had worked out, in case I'm elected Pope, you know, this is how I'll start. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, you could tell that for him, if he was going to lead the church, it would only be through the gift of the Spirit, which the whole people of God would have to invoke upon him. I mean, he redefined the papacy in one sentence. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a way in which the theologian has, is also working in a kind of pastoral context, right? In, in, in that they, um, you, you say the theologian has to be is called to engage in in a way that is that is uh, encounter rather than confrontation and in, in, in meeting people where they are and um, and and listening as much as speaking, um, not communicating per se uh, a, a, a proposition but communicating personally and yeah it, yeah is that is that right yeah yeah absolutely mm. absolutely yeah. Uh, and students know it instinctively I mean that's that's how they pick their teachers in the courses that. You know, they know when they are being delivered the goods, even if very correctly, properly packaged and so on, and when they're being invited into a quest for truth that is going to define the whole of their life as it defines the life of their teacher. Sure. Now, we've been talking a lot this summer on this program and in the pages of America about, you know, the these various scandals in the church and... Um, you know, uh, sexual misconduct and cover-up and so forth, and um, you know, without per se getting into all the news of that, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about what you think is the distinct contribution that theologians can make to helping us to to uh, to to heal and to progress from this crisis. Uh, that's 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 a big question. I mean. Any of us who are asked to talk about it and, you know, talk to people about it and so on can certainly do the best we can to, um, I, th I think, you know, maybe our most specific contribution is uh, to help people to realize that this isn't a little fluke. It's not some mistake that some people made, that the way one approaches God, the people of God, uh, the church and so on 
bears fruit in what goes on in the church. And the fact that this horrendous, uh, uh, you know, church-wide uh, scandal is being uncovered uh, tells us that something is really rotten in the state of Denmark. You know, we've always had sin in the church. You know, all of us have been part of it, and, you know, I don't think the vast majority of people were ever scandalized to find out that maybe father drank too much or maybe sister, you know, was impatient with a child or, you know, whatever. Uh, sin is not in itself scandalous because we all commit sin. What's so scandalous about this is that you can really see the rot going right down to the roots. Right. And that is, that is correctly, <laughs> justifiably, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, it's the nature of this rather than the specific sins or mistakes or whatever of individual people made here and there. I mean, we're, we're confronting a, a structural uh, sinfulness that is going to require much more radical uh, therapy than just say, you know, well, we've got to root out the people who did this and start all over with a whole new crop of, of people who go through the same system under the same influences and hopefully come out different because they won't. What would you say to somebody? A lot of people these days are are struggling with their relationship with the church and a lot of young people. And <laughs> what would you say to somebody who was, you know, who's a Catholic and who was maybe thinking about studying theology, maybe going deep, more deeply into their faith? Uh, and now is is sort of faced with more of these questions of the ab- that the abuse crisis is raising. What would you say to somebody um, to instill in them the value of of moving more deeply into the faith through theology? Well, I I would say to them that if if the theological bug has really bitten them, <laughs> which I think probably is is the root of a theological vocation, that if they are really fascinated with theology and feel called to it, that in a certain sense, that sense of vocation is quite independent of what's going on among the owners and operators of the institution. Uh, And if anything, uh, I, I would think they would want to find out what the real truth is as opposed to what's been being presented for so long uh, institutionally, not not necessarily in the theological tradition itself. Uh, So in one sense, I would not... Now, I think it's an entirely different question if somebody is thinking of some kind of role in the church that would insert them into the clerical um, system. I think that's a totally different question, and I would have totally different answers about that. Mm. Uh, but the theologian uh, is, um, I, unless unless it's somebody you know who's allowed themselves to be bought as a kind of propagandist for the you know for the institution. But if their real interest is theology, uh, I would say you have even more reason to study theology because what you don't want to believe <laughs> is the ideology which has allowed this to go on. So you have all the more reason to study the real thing, the real tradition, uh, scripture, uh, you know, what 
as disciples of Jesus we truly believe, because that's, that's in a certain sense, the best defense of one's personal integrity against what's going on in the institution. Sister, you, you know, been... you can recognize what's wrong precisely because you know what's, what's true. Right, because uh, that's a beautiful way to put it. We think, have about one minute left. I think just think, Sister, of your own work in the Gospel of John and the notion of discipleship there and the very clear way in which uh, following Jesus opens the disciples' eyes to the realities of not only the sinfulness in the world around them, but the possibilities for uh, a, you know, a beloved community and uh, a, an institution which we you know, firmly believe became the Church can develop out of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I, I've spent most of my life studying the Gospel of John. Whatever I'm studying, I'm studying it somehow in dialogue with that uh, marvelous, marvelous document. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and, and it's a lot of what I'm doing now in terms of public speaking and writing and so on is, you know, showing people that in our most foundational um, resources, the ones that are really inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the the real answers are there. Right. It's a matter of us finding it. The piece is called The Vocation of the Theologian Begins with an Invitation. It's by Sister Sandra Schneiders, and you can find that and all of the pieces we've talked about today at americamagazine.org forward slash serious. Uh, Sister Schneiders, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your uh, vocation as a religious, as a theologian, and for your article in America. You're very welcome. Okay, have a great day. You too. I, I really liked what she had to say about um, the personal integrity of our own faith and being able to bear witness to it and to the joy that it brings is is the most um, and really the only credible witness that yeah. we have to offer. And this yeah. desire to, to, in the midst of the uncertainty and the scary nature of a lot of what's going on in the church, to move more deeply into the truth. That's right, yeah. Um, we need that now more than ever. And we need good theologians now more than ever, particularly those who are going to point their, point the way to uh, a new understanding of our ecclesiology uh, and perhaps the structural reforms that we need to, uh, well, to be the people we're called to be. So you've been listening to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You can find all of the content that we referred to today at americamagazine.org forward slash series. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you're in New York on October 4th, 2018 at 6.30 p.m., uh, join us for the John Courtney Murray Lecture this year given by Arthur Brooks of the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, for uh, Kerry Weber and, and Jim Keane, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you and have a great day. Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.